0: Well, good morning, Peachtree. It is such a joy and a privilege for us to get to launch into a new series of messages today on the Gospel of John. Now, I admit there are parts of the Bible that are really hard to understand. You almost don't even know why they're writing it and what you're trying to figure out. What are you supposed to learn? Well, I'm here to tell you that this is not one of those parts of the Bible, that the Gospel of John tells us exactly why they were writing it and why we should be receiving it, hearing it and reading it and experiencing it for ourselves. Towards the end of the gospel of John, it says this, chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John tells us that the whole reason that he took the time to collect these stories and to write them down and for us to be able to experience them for ourselves is that you and I, in the words of Max Lucado, might have this, that we might have life-giving belief. You know, true faith is something that really will change you. It's the kind of thing that loves you as you are, but won't leave you as you are. And so we're calling this series, as we walk through the Gospel of John, we're calling this series No Longer in order for us to see the kinds of ways that that life-giving faith, that life-giving belief actually changes us. So we're going to talk about being no longer cynical, no longer empty, no longer religious, no longer ashamed, no longer paralyzed, no longer hungry, no longer condemned, no longer blind, no longer vulnerable, no longer grieving, no longer two-faced, and no longer insignificant. As we walk through this series of message. You need to know that one of the things I love about the Gospel of John, and it's one of the primary books of the Bible when somebody new to the faith says, where do I begin? I always say begin with the Gospel of John. And that is is that the Gospel of John is the most personal of all of the Gospels. It's the book where we get to experience those one-on-one encounters with Jesus the Christ. And we're going to look at one of those first encounters today today. As we discover what it means to be no longer cynical, we're going to look at the story of Philip and Nathanael with Jesus. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit how do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this is a moment in the text where Philip and Nathaniel are experiencing the call of discipleship. This is that moment in the Bible where Jesus is still pulling together his students, his apprentices, his followers. And as he's pulling them together, he calls Philip with that famous phrase, follow me. And Philip follows him. And then Philip is so excited, he decides to tell one of his friends, Nathaniel. Nathaniel's name means gift of God. And he says, Nathaniel, I've found the one that we've been looking for. And not just what we've been looking for, but all the way back since Moses and through the prophets, this is the one. And Nathaniel responds in verse 46 with this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, lately, um, Jonathan Haidt is a professor who has been experiencing the transformation of the decades of what's been happening on many of our college campuses. And he and a co-author wrote an article in the Atlantic Journal where they talked about how students were not given the chance to grow up in the ways that they had in the past. This was the image that they used in order to introduce their concept to um, the article that they were writing. And the article was such a hit that they wrote a book out of it called The Coddling of the American Mind. How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. And in this book, one of the things that they talk about is that they talk about that college campuses are supposed to be places where we learn, where we grow, where we debate great ideas with one another. And yet there's been a cultural sea change that has happened on our college campuses that is indicative of huge changes that's happening within our society. And that is is that when we disagree with somebody now, when somebody holds a different position than what we have, when we don't like what somebody is saying or what they stand for or what they identify with, that we no longer really engage in the great debate of those ideas. Instead, we write them off, we push them away. And that this is not just true for students, it's also true for the people leading at academic institutions, that in in scholasticism, what used to be the great back and forth of big ideas has now become a form of shame or of canceling. And so what they say in the conclusion is this, they say that retraction is the new rebuttal. In other words, they're not giving the back and forth. Instead, what they do is they shame someone until they get people to conform to their position. The problem with this is that the part of an academic experience that is so valuable is that you and I are called to be a part of a community of curiosity. And there's nothing that kills curiosity faster than the cynicism that is taking over our university cultures and our society at large. For you see that you and I are the kind of people who instead of engaging in great ideas and great back and forth, we've become cynics. We're like Nathaniel. Instead of asking Philip another question or leaning into, you really think this is the one who is to come? This is the one that we've been waiting for? instead of engaging in what might be the great exploration and discovery of who Jesus might be, we just give the flippant remark and we sneer and we say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Paul Miller puts it this way. He says, cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. Behind every silver lining is a cloud. The cynic is always observing, critiquing, but never engaged, loving, and hoping. It protects you from crushing disappointment, but it paralyzes you from doing anything. Cynicism's ironic stance is a weak attempt to maintain a light-hearted equilibrium in a world gone mad. It certainly feels like that the world has gone mad lately. And one of the most heartbreaking things for me in this last political season is the back and forth of the lack of a civil discourse. You and I as Americans have important debates and ideas that need to be wrestled with as a country. Every single ad that we see is about painting somebody into a corner and writing them off as opposed to let's talk about the ideas and wrestle back and forth with what we think the best direction for this country, for our community is. And because of the cynicism that's at an all-time high for us, it's absolutely killed the creativity and the curiosity of what it might mean to be able to find good answers for the future of what we have and what we need for one another. I wonder if you could answer for yourself, what's your Nazareth? Meaning, what would be the phrase that you would say in light of Nathaniel and say, could anything come good out of Washington DC? Could anything good come out of a red district? Could anything good come out of a blue district? Could anything good come out of a Democrat? Could anything good come out of a Republican? You see, we've gotten to the point where we're writing one another off and we're no longer engaging in the relationships and the ideas of being able to learn and to grow together. You see, we all have blind spots. We all need to grow. We all need to discover the truth together. And we can't do that. We cannot grow up if we are living with cynical minds. We can't coddle our minds anymore. We have to learn how to be open to being wrong. And so I absolutely love what Philip says to Nathaniel's cynicism. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Here's what Philip says: He says, Come and see. For you see, the antidote to cynicism is not some sort of naive optimism or a blind loyalty. The antidote to cynicism is actually seeing and experiencing for yourself. I want to tell you the true story of a guy by the name of Jacob Needleman. It was in the 1970s. In fact, it was December the 7th, 1972, that he got to experience something that he always wanted to see. He was gonna get to see for himself the launching of this space mission here. This is the actual picture of Apollo the 17th. This is the last time that we, as a human race, went beyond our orbit and went to the moon. And so what Jacob Needleman experienced on that day, I want to share with you in his own words. He says it like this. There were hundreds of cynical reporters all over the lawn. They weren't taking this seriously. They were drinking beer, wisecracking, making snide comments, waiting for this 35 story high rocket to take off. The countdown came and then the launch. The first thing you see is this extraordinary orange light, which is just at the limit of what you can bear to look at. Everything is illuminated with this light. Then comes this thing slowly rising up in total silence because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come across. You hear whoosh in this hmm, and it enters right into you. Every jaw drops wide open. The sense of wonder fills everyone in the whole place as this thing goes up and up and up. And the first stage ignites in this beautiful blue flame. It becomes like a star, but you realize that there are humans on it. And then there is this total silence. And then he writes this. He says, people just get up quietly, helping each other. They're kind. They open doors. They look at one another, speaking quietly and interestedly. These were suddenly moral people because of the experience of wonder. You can be the kind of person that reports the news and writes about a variety of things, and you become cynical and jaded as you report the news of life. But if you're there in person and you get to witness the awe and the majesty and the wonder, that is how a cynic and their heart can melt and their mind can change and they can become a person of great faith. You see, the first step for us in our cynical age is for us to hear this invitation of Philip to get to come and to see Jesus for ourselves. And maybe you've heard about Jesus, maybe you've read stories about Jesus, but maybe you've never had that personal encounter where you've experienced the roar and the light and the wonder and the power of what it means to be in his presence. It truly is personal and honest investigation. Faith is not naive optimism or blind loyalty. And so you and I are invited to come and to see but what truly changes nathaniel is not just coming to see jesus it's that when he gets in the presence of jesus he discovers that it's not just him that's doing the investigating but that he himself is being investigated that he himself is not just the one who is trying to know but that he is actually being known that he's not just the one who is trying to notice and to figure it out but that someone has come To experience him. This is what it says in the Gospel of John. Wait, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. We have no idea what actually happened under the fig tree. It could have been something magnificent, it could have been something traumatic. It could have been something tragic. It could have been something heroic. The Bible doesn't tell us the secret of what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree. But what we do know is that it was such a significant moment in his life that the minute that Jesus said, I saw you in that moment, it's the moment that Nathaniel's heart melts and that he realizes that this truly is the one that they have been waiting for. You see, a cynic isn't really just changed by drawing close, a cynic is changed when they are known. There's a guy by the name of Mark Mitchell who's a pastor up in the shadows of Stanford University and Silicon Valley in Northern California. After decades of ministry, he decided to write three authors who had been his heroes in the faith, who had really nurtured him, that he knew there's no way he could have lived out his ministry without these three authors. One of those authors was a man by the name of Eugene Peterson. He wrote all three of them, and two of the three responded back quickly and had even responded to his invitation eventually to sit down and to be able to have a meal together that he would travel to wherever they were and he would sit down to be able to get to know them a little bit. But he never heard back from Eugene Peterson. The weeks turned into months. And so Mark Mitchell wrote this. My cynical mind concluded that this man who had written so eloquently about being an unbusy pastor was just too busy or too important to write me back. As the months droned on, at one point he was at a conference, a gathering of other ministry leaders, and he had actually mentioned to a variety of them that he had written to his, his heroes and that two of the three had written him back and that he was so disappointed that Eugene Peterson did not write him back. Well, as it turns out in that gathering, there was uh, one of the people there was actually a really good friend with Eugene Peterson and promised that he would actually follow up and call him. And so he called, uh, he called his friend Eugene Peterson, and Eugene actually uh, actually told him that he had been praying for this moment, that he had actually lost the envelope to the note and had written right away, but didn't know where to send it, didn't know how to give it to the person who had sent it. And so Mark wrote this. A few weeks later, a handwritten letter arrived from Eugene Peterson. He explained he had received my letter a year earlier, but had lost the envelope with my return address. To my surprise, he had kept the letter on his desk for the entire year, praying that somehow he'd discover where to send his response. A few weeks later, when we met for lunch, we both marveled at God's providence and he kindly accepted my apology for presuming I knew why he had not written. Sometimes, We presume to know why people don't meet our expectations. But so often, we don't know the whole story. You know, it takes great humility to admit that you might not know the whole story. Part of the danger of a cynical mind is that it presumes that we have the one perspective, that we have it right, and that everybody else is wrong. One of the things that happens in the gospel is that we discover in and through Jesus Christ that our deepest desire is not to know it all. Our deepest desire is to be known. The reason that Mark, the pastor, was so hurt by not getting Eugene Peterson's letter back was because he felt invisible. He felt insignificant. He felt inconsequential. And so he wanted to write off Eugene Peterson because he himself did not feel known. The greatest failings that I have ever been a part of in ministry were not when I was unable to get you to see something. The greatest failings that I've had in ministry is when I failed to see someone for who they really are. When I felt like I had it all figured out on my own. And because of that, I was blinded to really seeing people and acknowledging them, and recognizing them, and knowing them for who they are. You were not insignificant to God. God sees you, God knows you, and he wants to meet with you. This is what melts Nathanael's heart when he's being called as a disciple for Jesus. That the Lord, the master of the universe, the king of Israel, the rabbi, the son of God, as Nathanael calls him. That is the one to whom he is invited into fellowship. And so in order for our cynicism to go away, first it's come and see for yourself. Then it's come and be seen. And then it's to come and dream. And not just any dream, a particular dream. In other words, the promise of discipleship is not just that we'll get to see and be known, it's that we will get to see greater things. Let's see how the gospel of John puts it you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is a very particular kind of dream. We have to know our Old Testament. We have to reach all the way back into the book of Genesis. There's a moment where Jacob is running away because he has stolen the birthright and he is fleeing Esau with his life. And he comes to a nondescript place in the middle of nowhere, a Nazareth, if you will, a place where nothing seems to happen. And in that place, Jacob pulls up a rock and he goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, he has a dream, the famous dream I love portrayed in this piece of art. It's the dream of Jacob's ladder of angels ascending and descending, coming down from heaven and going up of earth. It's a dream of heaven and earth coming together and becoming one and the great restoration of all that is broken in our lives. This is exactly the promise and the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying. Greater things will you see. Greater things will you see. And it will be a part of my dream. I want to introduce you to a woman by the name of Jamessa Stokes. Here's her picture. And as you can tell from her um, uniform, she works at NASA. And she's actually a part of the Glenn Research group and uh, is doing amazing things on behalf of mathematics and science for the space program. What you don't know about Jamessa is that she is the kind of person who grew up in one of the poorest parts of Atlanta. That statistically speaking, she would have been more likely to have known somebody who was in prison than to know somebody in college. At a great sacrifice to her family and with some scholarship dollars, she was able to attend the Atlanta Youth Academy. While she was there, there's a a passion at the Atlanta Youth Academy, and that is this. It's the famous phrase that, if you can't dream it, you can't be it. And so when they're in middle school, one of the things that they guarantee at the Atlanta Youth Academy is that they will go and they will experience 12 to 14 different universities and colleges so that these students get a vision, a dream, a perspective of what life might truly be like. Well, that dream took root in Jamessa's heart and life. And she ended up going to Auburn for undergraduate and then getting her PhD from Penn State. And here she is being able to work on behalf of our country and furthering the gift of science. But for her, this dream was not just about academic achievement and social climbing. For her and for a part of the Atlanta Youth Academy is the foundation of faith itself in Jesus Christ. You see, there is a larger dream. And that dream is not just us becoming more economically self-secure, no longer just advancing in society, It's not just about education and knowledge. It's about that there's a dream of what we might be able to do to bring heaven and earth together, to help to be able to be a part of one human race, where we might be able to live where angels dance and where heaven's open. You see, cynicism will truly melt away when we recognize that we have that dream together, that vision of what Jacob experienced thousands of years ago that's renewed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that you and I might catch a glimpse of that dream now that one day there's gonna be that restoration of all things. You have been invited to come and see the Savior and like Nathaniel, maybe for you, retraction is the new rebuttal, that you're the kind of person that writes off in the coddling of the American mind as opposed to engaging in the great idea. But I'm here to tell you that if you lean in, if you come and see that that can turn in to follow me. And regardless of your field of study like Jamessa or somebody in politics or somebody in business or somebody in education, that we might become the kind of people who experience curiosity more than cynicism and that we like Jacob might one day say, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. Come and dream, Jesus says. He not only knows us, He not only calls us, he invites us to be a part of his mission in the world. This is what is so desperately missing from all of our conversations and all of what we hope for in our society. We're missing the dream. It's not just an American dream. It's the dream of heaven and earth colliding and coming together. And so can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, cynicism will melt away and what will be left is a life giving belief. Let's pray together. Eternal and loving father, if we watch the news, we become more and more jaded, more and more distant, more and more lonely. And yet on this day, O oh God, we recognize that there is more to the story than we realize that no matter who we are, where we're from, that God sees us, that he always has. And so we thank you, O God, that in Jesus Christ, you have invited us to come and to see you, that you've invited us into that life-giving belief that points to heaven's opening and angels dancing. And so help us to become like those reporters at Cape Canaveral, to feel the power of your own presence, to know of your light shining in the darkness, and for us to become a people who are changed because we've experienced this wonder for ourselves, that you truly are the one that we have been waiting for, and that yes, you came from Nazareth. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus, and all of God's people said,